0: Thank you, Gary, and uh, just to let you know, Woodside paid for the pizza, so you guys owe us. (laughs) If you have a Bible or a device, I'd invite you to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 1, and we'll be there in just a few moments. I'm here at Wallenstein to tell you as a church what you're supposed to do. Pastor Gary will be speaking at Woodside in a couple months, and I'm sure or expect that he'll probably return the favor and tell us what to do. Uh, let me give you a context for the three exhortations that we'll be looking at today. About a year and a half ago, the elders at Woodside, we were talking one evening at a meeting, and we in a sense we were grieving. We were grieving uh, at how rapidly culture is unmooring itself from the Judeo Christian values. And we we're also grieving at how some churches were drifting or intentionally walking away from the historic Christian faith. And one of the elders said, You know, Wallenstein, there are allies. And uh, we have brothers and sisters there, so we really wanted to reach out. I know in the past uh, years ago the elders got together, but we wanted to get together with the elders here, and we did. It was just a wonderful time, and we'll see where God leads in that. And uh, but we wanted to say thank you for your faithfulness. Um, we know that the young people at both churches intermingle; uh, some of them even date and get married. Uh, not just young people, I've had an, uh, a few older people tell me, "Yeah, I went to Woodside and, and married this uh, guy, and, or vice versa and, um, and so it's not the young pe- just the young people, but it's our seniors too, uh, many of them with with different uh, events uh, have gotten together. and so it's just great to be together with you guys. Uh, I mentioned at the first service it'll be 40 seven years this October that Woodside uh, started out of Wallenstein and for 47 years we've been faithful to the gospel and to continue to celebrate it to proclaim it and to contend for it and then but when we look at Wallenstein as I said in the first service you guys have been about what 500 years back to Martin Luther and the Reformation that you have been faithful so thank you for that. So today what we're going to do is we're going to look at uh, Paul writing to Timothy, who was a pastor of the church of Ephesus, and he's going to instruct Timothy and the church collectively as to how to be faithful to Jesus so that they as a church wouldn't drift from Jesus, wouldn't walk from Jesus, and uh, individually uh, you make up the church. So today may God speak to you as to how you need uh, to do certain things so that you won't drift from Jesus. Would you join with me as we pray, and then we'll open God's word together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and it is true. It is trustworthy. It imparts wisdom. It's a lamp to our feet. And Lord, your word endures. The grass withers and the flower falls, but your word endures forever. And so now, Lord, as we open it, I ask that you would speak to each one today. I ask that you would give each one the faith to respond in obedience for your glory and the good of others, uh, I pray this, amen. 1 Timothy chapter one. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul refers to himself as an apostle that he was not one of the, risen, uh, one of the original 12 disciples uh, who saw Jesus and was uh, commissioned to take the good news about him to the world, but he later would encounter Jesus and, uh, and was commissioned by Jesus. So it's Paul the Apostle to Timothy. Notice my dear son in the faith, or my true son in the faith, and we believe that Paul led Timothy to uh, Christ. Now, if you're new to reading the Bible, a lot of the New Testament, the letters in the New Testament, are rooted in stories that we find in the book of Acts. And in the book of Acts, we kind of find the backstory to this letter. So Paul, or previously known as Saul, Saul, uh, as a young lad, came from uh, modern-day Turkey and down to the land of Israel, to Jerusalem, to to study uh, the Old Testament. And so he spent their years uh, in Jerusalem studying. and Paul was a brilliant thinker, and he was probably a type A personality. and uh, uh, among the religious movement, he would work he worked his way up, we believe, to the point where uh, there was this fellow Jesus of Nazareth who went around making these claims of who he was, that he was like, if you see me, you've seen God, and, and all of these other claims, and he had died on a cross, and now his followers, some of his followers were saying, we saw him alive, he rose from the dead, he really is the Messiah. And Paul, um, in that day, there were probably about a dozen messiahs, uh, 50 years before and 50 years after, a dozen wannabe messiahs uh, who who uh, would say, "I'm I'm the one that we've waited for. Follow me." And all 12 of those movements, uh, the, those would-be messiahs, were all uh, nailed to a cross or, or killed, and eventually the, that movement ended. And so uh, Saul, he wanted to end this movement. So he hated all things Jesus, didn't believe in, in this person, and so he made his way up north to track some of these believers down. Acts chapter 9, on the road to Damascus, he encounters the risen Christ and realizes that Jesus really was the Messiah, the promised one, and it changes his life. After some time of study, he then uh, begins his first missionary journey, one of three, we believe. He would go with teams for, throughout the Roman Empire from city to city. So on his first missionary journey, he goes uh, to a certain part of Turkey, and it's there as he's sharing the good news about Jesus that Timothy and his mother Lois and his grandmother Eunice, we believe, they gave their faith, their, their life to Jesus, Paul, on his second missionary journey, goes back and revisits some of those churches in Turkey, but then goes further west into Europe and plants some churches there. At the end of his second journey, missionary journey, he comes back to Turkey and plants a church in Ephesus, which is on the coast of Turkey. On his third missionary journey, he uh, goes and revisits some of these churches and plants some new ones, and then comes back to Ephesus, and for almost three years, he shares and he teaches the people at this church. After that, he goes back to Jerusalem, and in time, he is arrested, and he appeals to, to, to the emperor, to Caesar, and he's shipped off to Rome, and in Rome, he's imprisoned, and for two years, he's languishing in prison before he is uh, released, and during that time, he writes the first letter to Timothy, who he has called to pastor the church at Ephesus, so about ten years from the time that Paul shared the good news uh, and people got saved, uh, about ten years later, um, he's writing to Timothy and that church. Now, what we find here as we open this letter is Paul identifies himself and re- refers to to Timothy and who it's sent to, but then he skips his customary. Uh, thank yous. So he usually opens with, and I thank God for you, or I thank uh, uh, um, certain uh, individuals. But in this letter, he jumps right into the matter at hand. And here's our first exhortation: and this, it's this, guard against false teaching. Wallenstein, guard against false teaching. We're, you guys have been doing that since the day this church began. Keep guarding. Uh, Look what Timothy, Paul writes to Timothy uh, in verses three and four. He writes, As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer or to devote themselves to miss and endless genealogies. Such things promote controversial speculations rather than advancing God's work, which is by faith. Paul says to Timothy, this is a command, Timothy, shut down false teaching at the church shut it down now what was the false teaching well paul had come in uh 10 years earlier and shared the gospel people got saved what's the gospel it's the good news of jesus right his life his death his resurrection that the god who made you and me gave us a free will uh, being made as human beings and we chose with our own free will to go our own way and as a result we rebelled against God and the consequence is we not only die physically but spiritually as well we're separated from God but that same God that loves you and me came into the world in the person of Jesus Christ he lived a sinless life so that he could die on the cross for your sins and for my sins and so that we could have forgiveness of sins and life eternal with God, a relationship with God. And that same Jesus, we believe, rose again the third day and is in heaven. So that's the good news he brought to the church at Ephesus, the people at Ephesus. But in time, false teachers crept in and they began to teach something different. They began to teach, and you'll find this in the letter, certain things about the Old Testament making them mandatory. The false teachers were saying, hey, you need before God, you need, uh, you can't get married, and you can't eat certain foods. And he, they were adding all of these commands to the good news about Jesus Christ. In addition to that, there was something called Gnosticism in the first three centuries that the early church had to deal with. It was false teaching saying that, that uh, whether you want Jesus to be your savior or not, that's not really what matters. What matters is special revelation. You need to have this special revelation that we're going to talk to you about. And so all of this false teaching led to, notice there, controversial speculations. It led to confusion. Nobody knew what to believe. All these false just talking about different things. And what was uh, the controversial speculations? Uh, they were devoting themselves to myths and endless genealogies. The myths were taking the Old Testament, and then there were certain fables and legends and these wild speculations from it. And then the endless genealogies, taking the genealogies found in Genesis and some other extra-canonical books and, and all of these wild speculations. So if you want to be right with God, you've got to do this and you can't do this and all of this. And they were teaching that rather than, notice they're advancing God's work, rather than sharing the good news about Jesus and having people come to a saving faith in him. It's all by faith and not by the law. So Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, I command you, shut it down. Now what Paul is talking about um, here is not secondary issues. In the church today, We can be, we've, as being faithful to his word and to God, we can allow for uh, certain um, interpretations when it comes to Uh, secondary issues. So for example, eschatology, right? The end times of Jesus, some uh, would hold to this belief, and there's other Christians who say, no, I think it's a little different that I hold to this belief, okay? If you want to know the correct belief, see me after the service. I will share it for you, right? (laughs) When it comes to mode of baptism, we hold to a certain baptism. There's other Christians who would say, no, I see it a little differently. So those are secondary issues. That's not what Paul is commanding to shut down. He's commanding to shut down Heresy—anything anything that is Jesus plus something or Jesus minus something that we are to shut it down. And he's calling Timothy to do it, which is really um, uh, amazing because Timothy, what we know of him is that he struggled with confidence. He was timid. He was fearful. He struggled with his health. And yet Timothy, you rise up and you shut it down. And we find in the letter that that he is there to be removed from the church, these false teachers. Now, the church at Wallenstein, um, you guys are welcoming. You are inclusive. You want everybody to come and hear the good news of Jesus. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You want everybody to come. But if someone comes in teaching false doctrine for the sake of, of the church, you have to deal with that so that that teaching doesn't get a stronghold. And so that's what Paul is calling Timothy do Now, we fast forward 2,000 years later, and don't we rejoice? There's no more false teaching, right? (laughs) There's no more false teaching. No, there has always been false teaching. And false teaching, again, Jesus and his gospel, he either rose from the dead and every word he says is true, or he didn't rise from the dead, and you shouldn't listen to a word that he says. You shouldn't read your Bible. But if he's true, and we believe he is because of the evidence of the resurrection, we believe that's true. So anything that doesn't conform to Jesus, who is the truth, is false teaching. And Jesus can claim he is the truth because he's the ultimate reality. Before the universe existed, there was a beginning to our universe. There was God, a spirit, eternal, and that God came to us in the person of Jesus. He is the ultimate reality, and truth is that which conforms to reality. So everything conforms to Jesus, and anybody who says, no, what Jesus taught isn't true, or who Jesus is, he's not that person. That is false teaching, and it's still today. Today, we're we're exposed to it. Uh, Every day we wake up, there are false teachers on Facebook, there are false teachers on Twitter, There are false teachers singing on Spotify, saying, this is what life is about, or this is how you should live. False teachers still exist today. In false teaching, uh, it not only uh, is nothing new, but it's not popular. Jesus talked about false teaching. Paul talked about false teaching. Peter, the prophets before Jesus, all talked about false teaching. They stood for the truth. They stood for God and his word. But it was not popular. We see this down through history. Jesus, who claimed to be the truth, was nailed to a cross. Truth wasn't popular. After uh, Jesus, Stephen spoke the truth. He was stoned. After Stephen, you find in the early church, a number of Christians in the, in the first uh, century or two centuries in particular were fed to animals. Uh, it continues right through history. So many examples. Second century, Polycarp, a, a disciple of, of the apostle John, uh, was burned at the stake. And what is very interesting is we have an account that um, the villagers of, of, of his village uh, that says they gathered the wood joyfully. The bonfire to burn this guy alive. How many of you would like just your villagers just to gather the wood joyfully? That's how much they despised the truth and what was being said. Go right through to uh, down through history, 16th century. Um, Hugh Latimer, another example of someone who stood for the truth, he preached the truth, and he had a a number of occasions to speak before King Henry VIII. And uh, I don't know if you know about King Henry VIII, but he had a reputation of chopping people's heads off, right? Uh, two of his wives, they died that way. And so he was called to speak before the king on this one occasion, and he really struggled with, do I, do I share the truth of God's word, or what do I do? And until he made the commitment that King Henry VIII is under the lordship of Jesus. Jesus is ultimately the king of kings. I'll be faithful to Jesus. So he spoke the truth to King Henry VIII, and King Henry VIII spared him only to have his daughter, uh, King Henry VIII's daughter, Bloody Mary, come to the throne, and she had Hugh Latimer burned at the stake. Truth is not popular. Now, we fast forward to the 20, what do we mean, the 22nd, 21st century, right? 22nd, oh my goodness, okay. 2022. It's still not popular. Now, in Canada, we are not necessarily losing our lives, being crucified or burned or, or executed. But be reminded that around the world, that is happening. Nigeria just went to number one as far as um, uh, the number of Christians who lost their lives because of, of standing for the truth. They went to number one. Nigeria went to number two behind China as having the most churches or buildings attacked or burned. About 50 of the 200 countries in our world, it is so hard to be a Christian. Now, in Canada, we don't get a whole lot of that pushback but we're seeing a growing hostility towards Christianity. Uh, Cancel culture, right? We're canceling you, we're shaming you. How dare you say that we need your truth? Everybody has their own truth, my truth, your truth. We can do whatever we wanna do and we're shamed. Truth is not popular. How about yourself? Are you resolving to say, I'm going to guard against any false teacher. I'm holding to the truth. And what we're finding churches doing is, creeping into the church today is something called progressive Christianity, which is different than historic Christianity. And it's Jesus minus. Culture says, We don't like what you're teaching. So progressive Christianity is saying, well, we'll just kind of soften it up a bit. And the Bible, rather than being the authoritative word of God, it's like a spiritual travel journal of of our ancestors. And in in this movement, uh, there's no hell. There's no judgment. There's really even no atonement. And there's no creeds because nobody knows for sure what to believe. And culture will accommodate that. Oh, if you don't tell us that we have to be saved, that there's something we have to do, we'll accommodate that. But if you're a church that says, no, we believe truth is transcendent, that it's outside of us. It's in a person, the ultimate reality, the one who claimed to be the truth. So Wallenstein, continue to guard against false teaching. Second exhortation. Or before that, Paul goes on to say in verse 5, the goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Timothy, the reason I'm telling you to guard the truth, to guard against false teaching, is because the truth produces, leads to love. It leads to, it brings about a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. Timothy, you know those teachers, false teachers, have impure hearts. They have seared consciences. They have an insincere faith. They're they're not in it for God and the love of people. They've got other motives. Timothy, you make sure you shut them down. And then he continues the instruction, verse 6. Some have departed from these and have turned to meaningless talk. They want to be teachers of the law, but they do not know what they are talking about or what they so confidently affirm. Some have departed from these. He mentions two in particular in this letter, Hymenaeus and Alexander, probably leaders in the church, and they departed. Their faith was shipwrecked. And he says, these false teachers, they've left the faith, they've walked. And please be reminded today that deconversion is nothing new. Are you familiar with deconversion? It's where someone stands up and says, you know, I used to believe, it's usually sometimes a pastor or a worship pastor. You know, I used to believe in in Christianity and that stuff, uh, but I just, I have to be true to myself now. I can't believe that any longer. You know, I was raised in a Christian home, but but I just, I, I can't hold to those truths anymore. And usually in that narrative, it's like now for the first time in my life, I'm free, you know, free. Uh, there's a particular woman who was a leader in the church with her husband and uh, she walked from her marriage walked from her family, walked from the, the church and um, she went on to write a New York Times bestseller list, a book that's been on the list for, for almost like two years she's an, a really good writer but in her book, her first book that was so so popular the premise of the book is this is I learned to listen to the voice inside of me Right. Why would you ever listen to Jesus and his word and have to submit to that when you can just listen to the voice inside of you? It's so much more appealing. People continue to walk. I want to be free from that. Paul goes on to say in verses 8 through 10, he gives more instructions. We know that the law is good if one uses it properly. We also know that the law is made not for the righteous, but for lawbreakers and rebels, the ungodly and sinful, the unholy and irreligious, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers, for the sexually immoral, for those practicing homosexuality, for slave traders and liars and perjurers. Paul is not against the law. He's against the misuse of the law. And Paul is saying these false teachers are misusing the law. They're saying you can't marry, you can't eat these foods, but yet they're saying you can do certain other things, things that were trending in culture of that day. And he says they're using the law in a way that doesn't fit the purpose for which it was given. Timothy, remember the law, one of the reasons was it was given is to show us we don't meet the standard of a holy God. We've all sinned against him and we're all doomed to die in our sins. And the law is to show us that we need a savior. We need someone to do something. And that's the gospel. And that's the second exhortation. To Wallenstein, keep a steadfast grip on the gospel. You guys have been doing that faithfully. Don't let go of the good news of Jesus. Paul continues in First Timothy uh, verse one, verse ten, and for whatever else is contrary to the sound doctrine that conforms to the gospel concerning the glory of the blessed God, which He entrusted to me, Timothy, all of these behaviors and attitudes and whatever else doesn't. Uh, that is contrary to the sound doctrine that conforms to the gospel, you have to deal with those things. Now, the gospel is the good news about Jesus. It's Jesus in his word. Sound doctrine, it explains, it supports, it complements the gospel. So when I open my Bible and I read about Suffering, or I read about relationships, that aligns with Jesus, that's sound doctrine. But false doctrine is anything that doesn't align with the Jesus and his word, that minimizes, marginalizes, or rejects the word of God. And just a note here before we move on is sound doctrine produces love. The closer I get to Jesus, the more I love him and I love people. So when it comes to behavior, he, he mentioned sexual immorality and liars and things like that. Uh, you as a follower of Jesus, you don't go around judging and criticizing people and saying, oh, you're such a bad person, I'm better than you. If you know a Christian that's self-righteous, they're not close to Jesus. Uh, the person that's close to Jesus will say, you know what, um, you know, not forcing you to do anything, but there's a better way. Jesus that's what we're lifting up and we just we're promoting a better way to live your life how many of you that are older can stand up and give testimony oh the ways of God are good and true and they lead to freedom right right young people um, those testimonies were amazing today love them but just you know as a young person you're just tempted to drift to, to follow the world in its ways but where does it lead it leads nowhere it leads to ruin the other way leads to life eternal with Jesus, being on that road. So sound doctrine produces love, so we're caring about people, even though they may disagree with us or have a different view of things than us. But notice sound doctrine, we're going to notice that it produces humility as well. Paul, when he's talking about false teachers and these behaviors, isn't self-righteous. In fact, as he shares his story and how he heard the good news of Jesus, it it causes him to worship. Look what he says, beginning in verse 12. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service, even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man. So he's talking about his life before he met Jesus. I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and belief and unbelief. That was a jab at the false teachers. He's saying, uh, before I met Jesus, I hated Jesus. I didn't, you know, I wanted nothing to do with him. But I didn't know everything about Jesus. These false teachers, they've heard the gospel and they've chosen to reject it. I was shown mercy in my ignorance and unbelief. Then he goes on. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. And then verse 15. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Timothy, put this on the church doors at Ephesus. Wallenstein, put this on your church doors. This is what it's all about. Full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. That's the gospel that the pre-existent Son of God came into this world, this incarnation, so that he could... Live a sinless life and die on a cross to make atonement payment for our sins. That's the most important thing. Keep that, Timothy, Church at Ephesus. Keep that at the, at your doors. He goes on, but for that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display His immense patience as an example for those who would believe in Him and receive. What do we receive? Come on, someone. Eternal life. Anybody want to stand up and do a dance right now? A little jig? Life with God. God is a God of life, not of death. That really, I'm going to live with him forever. Timothy, you make sure that people are holding to the gospel. Wallenstein, keep talking about sinners and a savior. Keep talking about a cross and an empty tomb. And yes, as followers of Jesus, we need to talk about the environment and taking care of the environment. As followers of Jesus, we need to talk about uh, biblical justice, you know, caring for those in need and, and the poor and affordable housing and, and racism. We gotta, we gotta uh, address those things. But the most important thing is the gospel. Those things are an outworking of the gospel. They don't replace it. And not just for you adults. Can I remind you, Wallenstein, that it's for the whole church, for the youth, that they too, that the, with our your youth, that Jesus is still the main thing. And I mentioned this at the first service. Uh, it was about a month ago. Um, someone was nodding their head, so I, I think I got this right. About a month ago, the Woodside youth and the Wallenstein youth got together and had a square dance. How many of you were older, you were at a square dance? Wallenstein Woodside. Okay, a couple, yeah. Right? They had a square dance. And that's get together, do your square dance, have pizza. Don't jump off roofs but do what you want but make sure Jesus is in there that you're learning more about Jesus same thing with your children's ministry Wallenstein right Uh, we don't just want the children to be babysat we want them to hear about this this one who loves them more than anyone else stay true to the gospel and I want to remind the parents that your children are being raised in a godless village today that there is little fear of God That instead of interpreting culture through scripture, many people are interpreting scripture through culture, and there's a huge difference. This is God's word, and now we're gonna look at how to live our lives. So teach that to your children. Bring them to Sunday school. Bring them to kids' club so they're immersed in the truth. And if you have a child here that's older, and is not presently walking with the Lord, can I encourage you to not give up on them, to keep praying for them? It might be on their deathbed that they call out to Jesus, but your loved one is not beyond the grace and mercy of Jesus. Paul said, if Jesus could save me, he can save anybody. So keep praying and showing the love of Jesus. And then if you're here today, and you've never given your life to Jesus, why haven't you? What's holding you back from following him? Him, so keep a steadfast grip on the gospel. Paul, as he shares his story and the good news of Jesus, he then breaks into worship because sound doctrine, the gospel, uh, produces worship as well. Look what he says in verse 17. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever, Amen. It's like Paul; he's writing this these instructions to Timothy in the church, and it's like he has to put his pen down and maybe tears are strolling down his cheeks, and he's like, this was my life before I met Jesus. This is my life now. Oh, I worship and praise God. Thank you, God. How many of you, you just can't get over the the gospel? You, you, You just, you can't believe that God saved you. And some of you, for decades later, you're still like, brings tears to your eyes. I'm going to heaven to be with Jesus. That's what Paul, he just leads to Worship. Third exhortation, remember Jesus. Remember Jesus. Paul, after he is freed from prison in Rome uh, for a short period of time, he's then rearrested and imprisoned. And from prison, he writes the second letter of Timothy. And this is just before he's gonna be executed by the emperor at the time, Emperor Nero. He writes these last words to Timothy and to the followers of, of Jesus. And look what he says. Uh, 2 Timothy 2, verse 8. Remember Jesus. Remember Jesus. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel for which I am suffering, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Timothy, remember Jesus. Now stop and ask the question why, knowing what we know of Timothy, would Paul have to tell Timothy in particular and the other followers of Jesus to remember Jesus? Timothy was acquainted with the scriptures from a young age. Timothy gave his life to Jesus as a young man. Timothy went on to teach and pastor and talk about Jesus. Timothy was a missionary sharing the good news of Jesus. Timothy, according to Hebrews 13, was even imprisoned for Jesus. And yet Paul says to Timothy, hey, Timothy, remember Jesus. Why? Because like the Apostle Paul who was suffering for Jesus in the gospel, Timothy was as well. And when we are suffering, when we experience pushback, somebody in your family doesn't like you because you're a Christian or somebody excludes you, you're not popular anymore, it's so easy when we suffer to get our eyes off of Jesus and get them onto a person, onto our circumstances. Woe is me. No, remember Jesus Timothy. Remember Jesus, he's the Christ. He's the Messiah, the one that was promised long ago. Remember Jesus, the one who was raised from the dead. He conquered sin and the the grave. Anybody other, a second hallelujah, amen, right? Death has been defeated. He was raised from the dead. He descended from David. Timothy, remember Jesus, the one who was promised. Remember when... God promised David that a king would come through his line. Well, the king of kings has come. God keeps his promises. Remember that Jesus. And notice they can imprison you and me, Timothy. We can be chained, but they can't imprison the Word of God. They can't imprison the plan of God. Folks, history is moving to an end. And Jesus is in control of that end. He rose from the dead. He's coming back a second time. Remember him. Can I stare all of you at Wallenstein? Remember Jesus, right? You're not called to remember a philosophy, a worldview, even sound doctrine, as good as that is, because it helps us to love Jesus. You're called to remember a person who died on the cross for you, was raised the third day for you, and is coming again for you. One of the privileges that I've had over the 18 years at Woodside is knowing some saints there, but also saints at Wallenstein who are no longer with us and they loved Jesus and remembered him to the end. And one of the things that struck me uh, over those years and hearing those stories is they didn't have it easy. They would talk about, you know, what it was like years ago and, uh, you know, living in a fallen world where we need to expect trials and suffering and loss. That's, That's part of living in a fallen world. Things aren't the way they should be. And they, they shared those things. But then they also shared, uh, some of them, about some pushback they received, whether from, a, you know, whoever. And it was hard. Following Jesus is not easy. Following the truth is not easy. It's hard. And yet, they were faithful to Jesus. And more than one of them would sing this song or share the words of this song, and maybe you're familiar with it. What a day that will be, When my Jesus, I will see, when I look upon the face, the one who saved me by the grace, when he takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land, what a day, glorious day, that will be. They were faithful to the gospel and sound doctrine in their generation, and may we in our generation be faithful to pass it along to the next generation. So Wallenstein, keep doing what you're doing, and individually, I want to ask you, Are you willing to suffer for the truth? Are you willing to say, I'm following Jesus no matter what. I'm not drifting. I'm not walking away. May God speak to you today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the good news, the gospel about your son Jesus that there is hope for all of us. And Lord, I pray for all those here at Wallenstein that know you. I pray that you'll continue to help them to be faithful to you. And for the person or persons that maybe is here today, and they still have not responded to the greatest news of all, Lord, give them the faith to turn from their sin and trust Jesus as their Savior. And we pray it in his good and glorious name. Amen.